What is going on? Welcome to the show. Happy Friday, everybody. Thanks so much for hanging out. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be a part of your day. The phone number is 704-570-1110. Uh, you can also use the 800 number, 800, obviously, WBT1110. You can also email me, Pete, at the Pete Callender Show. You can also hit me up on the Twitter machine at Pete Callender. Um Let's start in Virginia. But, Pete, this is North Carolina. I hear your cry. Don't worry, I will uh, tie it all together. So, Glenn Youngkin, Republican, running for governor, against Terry McAuliffe, the Clinton bagman, former governor as well. And uh, I just saw somebody mention that a desperate Terry McAuliffe is an ugly Terry McAuliffe. And things are getting very desperate for the Democrats. This is very, very bad. They have brought in a lot of people, supposedly with star power, to help get out the vote in Virginia for the election uh, next week. And what just happened this or yeah, this morning, I guess, still getting used to the 12 o'clock start time, everything is... Anyway, um, so this morning, moments ago, one, two, three, four, five guys wearing white shirts and khakis and baseball caps carrying tiki torches. Mm-hmm. You see where this is going? Yeah, yeah. They approached Glenn Youngkin's bus as it pulled up to a campaign stop where he's, you know, doing last minute stumping here over in the last, you know, four days. And they rolled up and said, we're all in for Glenn. And then they stood next to the bus while media shot video and took their pictures and all that. Um, So you see what the play here is, right? That they're, yeah, they're the Charlottesville uh, alt-right Tiki Torch Baron uh, protesters from, what was it, the uh, Unite the Right rally which is, what was that, three years ago, four years ago? That's the, 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 that's the, the LARP here, the live-action role-play, um, which, you know, just a heads-up, not terribly convincing, only for the fact that, well, not only for the fact, but it's a pretty big, it, yeah, well, okay, maybe for the fact that, like, they're not all white guys. I, I mean, if you're going to play the role, is this like a Hamilton production? But if you're going to play the role of the white supremacist walking around saying, you know, they will not replace us and all the white nationalism stuff, then oh, I think you should probably be white. Oh, maybe white face. Dress up in white face. Should you do that? No. Patrick Gleason says Republicans should not get mad about this disgusting stunt or the fact that the NBC uh, local news reporter played along and didn't point out that these were actually all Democrats that did this. It's a sign of desperation from the McAuliffe campaign. It absolutely is. Uh, You probably heard about the the polling that came out. I think yesterday there were another two polls. And again, I'm not not a guy who uh, will spend a lot of time giving you the latest poll. Oh, this one came out and it says X, Y, Z. I'm more about the trends. I watch the trends to see where movement goes. This has served me pretty well. Well, since 2016. Yeah, look, I believed a lot of the polling and then, you know, Trump won. So (laughs) Uh, 
I look at the trend lines, and the trend lines are not good. Not good at all for Terry McAuliffe. Um, Probably one of the biggest self-owns, self-destructive comments ever on a campaign trail. Terry McAuliffe saying that parents should not be involved in, you know, deciding what their kids learn in school. It just... Just a terrible message. Doesn't matter if it's true. Doesn't matter if he misspoke or, you know, was taken out of context. Doesn't matter. It's just a terrible, terrible comment to make in a campaign. But Terry McAuliffe is a terrible person. So there you go. He uh, also has made a hefty down payment on the services of another terrible person, Mark Elias. That is my opinion only there. I'm. Just my opinion, he's a terrible person. I have no idea. Just want to make sure, just in case he comes after me with a lawsuit or something. Because he, he he tends to do that. He's a sue-happy lawyer. He's Clinton's lawyer. He was actually Roy Cooper's lawyer as well. Yeah, when Roy Cooper ran and beat uh, Pat McCrory in 2016, and they had to go to the, the counting, and you know they, there were challenges about ballots. Roy Cooper hired Mark Elias because if you're trying to get as many ballots counted for you, then you hire Mark Elias. And Terry McAuliffe's hiring of Mark Elias now, well, let's just say it doesn't exactly inspire confidence in his campaign, but it also doesn't inspire confidence that he's going to allow the results to stand. Mark Elias, this is according to Jonathan Turley. I think this is a record. I've quoted Turley twice now, I think, in as many days. Elias is a critical figure in the ongoing Durham investigation. Yeah, the Durham investigation. Uh, Well, yeah, it takes place out of Durham. That's that's why they call it that. No, it's the John Durham. John Durham? Everybody just calls it Durham investigation. Into the Russia collusion thing and how it all... uh, got started and Mark Elias is like at the center of this along with his former lawyer partner Michael Sussman and you can't spell suspect without sus which is half of Sussman you can't spell Sussman without sus either and so I don't know coincidence probably but you know I mean it's it's pretty coincidental as far as coincidences go so they're both lawyers at the time at Perkins Coie law firm and Sussman, or should I say suspect, has already been indicted by Durham. Mark Elias was his law partner, but Mark Elias was Clinton's lawyer. And Mark Elias had his hands all over the funding of the Steele dossier and that whole operation. He also led the efforts to challenge Democratic losses, even as he denounces Republicans for doing the exact same thing he does. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Here's an email from uh, Joseph who says, I saw Terry McAuliffe is bringing in Kamala Harris, and Murphy up in New Jersey is bringing in Bernie, which shows they have given up on swing voters and are now just trying to bring out the base. So generally speaking, uh, I'll, hang on, I'll finish his email. I won't make any predictions, though, because I expect broken water pipes, pizza box, window coverings, and dramatic overnight vote count swings. So, yeah, one of the things you always try to do um, is if you're running for office, you got to shore up the base first. You got to make sure your base is good to go. And then you go out and you get the mushy middle, right? That's you, 
you can't make the pitch for everybody else if your base isn't enthusiastic, if they're not already on your team, if they're not on board. The fact that they are trying to rally the base three days before, four days before the election, that is not a good sign. <laughs> Uh, or conversely, it's a really good sign. <clears throat> um, Mark Elias, he is the Democrat uh, uh, lawyer, or as Brian Stelter, who looks like a potato, uh, called him uh, on CNN uh, the other day that, uh, you know, the uh, boogeyman lawyer or something, right? That's what the, oh, the Republicans, they see you as this boogeyman lawyer or lawyer boogeyman or whatever it was. He stumbled over. It doesn't matter. Point is that he's not a boogeyman. He's just the guy that gets called all the time, all the time. If you need campaign lawyering, then you call Mark Elias if you're a Democrat because he is skilled in the dark arts of finding ballots and knowing laws and getting collusive settlements with boards of elections. Like this is his bag of tricks, right? You call some, it's kind of like this. This is, I remember talking to, well, I don't remember who it was, but I remember talking about, let's say that. I remember talking, I think it was a congressman, but I'm, I'm, I'm not remembering which congressman it was. It may have been Patrick McHenry at one point. This was several years ago. And I, uh, it was when the Peter Strzok, Lisa Page stuff was coming out. And I asked him, how come these are the same people all the time? It might have been Mark Meadows, actually. I don't remember. Point is, like, I asked, why, why is it the same people all the time? What's the deal with that? It's like a television show. It's like the CSI or the Law and Order or the Blacklist or like every single show where you've got the core group of the task force members. There's like three or four of them, right? And they get to dress however they want to dress. Meanwhile, everybody else has to dress in like the standard issue stuff. And then they go out on all the raids, you know, and they always get separated from like the whole SWAT team. Like they'll go in, they'll like bust down doors with like all of these guys that are heavily uh, uh, you know, uh, kitted up and armed up. And of course, like our main stars of the show, they'll just bust in with like a handgun, right? Like maybe wearing a vest, but no helmet, no goggles, no uh, shin guards or knee pads or arm guards or elbow pads or nothing, right? They just bust down the door, whatever. Then they get separated. And then like they, they find the bad guy and the bad guy gets away. It's like, well, maybe if you had stuck with the whole SWAT team, like, you know, they'd have taken them out for you. Like That's kind of what they do. But they get called to every single big crime, right? They're the team that's always there. All the high-profile busts, they're always they're they're never they're never at the mundane stuff, right? They're never just like shaking down the guy on the corner for you know uh, for the possession and distribution charges. I mean, they're never doing that, right? That was Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. That core that core group, right? They were the ones that, like, they took on all of the high-profile cases, whether it was Hillary Clinton or it was Donald Trump. They were the they were the only ones in the entire FBI, right, that was so uniquely qualified. <laughs> what with the what with the affair and the text messaging and all, right? They are the ones to do this. That's the that's Mark Elias, right? He's the guy you need to re, you need to sue over some redistricted maps and such mark elias he's your guy you need to try to find some ballots in some car trunk someplace mark elias that's your guy so now mark elias it took him long enough is out on his own he's got his own law firm it's called uh the elias law firm or elf 
Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's ELG, Elias Law Group. Really? Why wouldn't you call yourself Elf? And that, anyway, I just, th- I mean, look, I just think it's a branding miss. You had an opportunity. It's a marketing failure. All right. Uh, so he left. Perkins Coie Law Firm started his own. And as Jonathan Charlie writes about the Steele dossier, that the Clinton campaign hid payments for the dossier made to Fusion GPS, the opposition research firm, and uh, headed up by uh, Glenn Simpson. And they hid these payments as legal fees. What does that mean? It means they paid the law firm, Perkins Coie, and their attorney, $5.5 million. So they sent the money to the attorney, and that's how Fusion got paid, which makes the attorney the bag man, the cutout, right? That's what the law firm was. And Elias says, oh, no, no, I don't have any involvement whatsoever in the Trump dossier. John Podesta, Clinton's campaign chairman, was questioned by Congress and denied categorically any contractual agreement with Fusion GPS. Sitting right next to John Podesta was Mark Elias, who report who didn't say anything, just sat there, didn't correct the record, just let his client lie to Congress, knowing it wasn't true because he got paid, right? Elias's work embodies the inherent hypocrisy of some advocates and some in the media on election challenges. He often solicits contributions to challenge election results while denouncing Republicans for challenging election results. That contradiction has been readily apparent in the Virginia election. McAuliffe brought in Stacey Abrams to campaign for him. Yeah, yeah, I've got that audio. We'll take a listen to that up next. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, so uh, also up out of Virginia today, Terry McAuliffe. Uh, his campaign sent an email back to Fox News, although they didn't think they were sending it back to Fox News. Hilarity ensues. Fox News sent the campaign a request for comment. Um, the comment was about the hiring of Mark Elias. That's what they saw. The, the story was about Mark Elias being hired on and for like $60,000. And so Fox News says, hey... McAuliffe campaign care to comment on this report. And let me get the thing here. The response from Christina Freundlich, that's how she pronounces it, I think, says, can we try to kill this? (laughs) Whoops. Didn't think she was sending that in a reply. She thought she was forwarding it, but she hit reply And so you're the reporter, Tyler O'Neill, who says, I'm writing a story about the report. McAuliffe hired Mark Elias potentially to challenge the election results. Would the campaign explain the purpose of the hiring? Would the campaign counter Jonathan Turley's suggestion that McAuliffe may be planning to contest the election? And Christina Freundlich said, can we try to kill this? And then she followed it up with to dispute the challenges of the election. Um. So this then gets reported, this oops, they're trying to kill this story. And she goes on to Twitter 
This same woman goes on to Twitter to spike the football and say, we did kill the story when it was retweeted by David Rutz from the uh, Washington Free Beacon. She says, we did. We did kill the story. You mean the story that is linked up in this tweet you're responding to? You killed that story? These people are nuts. (laughs) I don't understand what they're looking at. Anyway, um, so there's that. Then you've got Stacey Abrams. Virginia Democratic governor, uh, gubernatorial candidate, I should say, Terry McAuliffe, claimed that Stacey Abrams should be the governor of Georgia, accusing Brian Kemp of having disenfranchised more than a million Georgia voters in the state's 2018 gubernatorial election. So let's see here. Let's start with, um, yeah, because Glenn Youngkin's campaign, which, by the way, they've been fantastic on their rapid response stuff. Rapid response, you know, that's like something happens and you're immediately up with some ad, some response, right? You're immediately up with some video. And so... As soon as he made these comments, the Yunkin campaign was up with this uh, with this ad. And here was the clip that they used here. And he's running down the democracy saying that our elections are not fair. The next day, she would be the governor of Georgia today had the governor of Georgia not disenfranchised 1.4 million Georgia voters before the election. There you go. That's what happened yeah. to Stacey Abrams. Right. They took the votes away. They took the votes away. So they've got two clips back to back, (laughs) separated by, (laughs) I don't know what's up with the voice that says, the very next day. Is it like a meme or something? I don't know. It's from SpongeBob. Oh, it is? Mm Mm-hmm. Why? It's just from SpongeBob. Right, but why? What's that got to do with anything? Couldn't you just have had, like, me saying the very next day? Or just, like, text that says the very next day? Well, there's there's also, like, text with that voice on the on the show. So they put a SpongeBob cartoon. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they were allowed to do that, actually. Um, or is it like rap where you can sample something as long as it's not <laughs> as long as it's not too long? Uh, so one day you got Terry McAuliffe accusing Glenn Youngkin of you know trying to destroy the democracy, and then the very next day. He's saying the very same thing that he accused Yunkin of destroying the democracy by saying, which is questioning the outcome of elections. Here we go. And he's running down the democracy saying that our elections are not fair. That our elections are not fair. He's running down our democracy by saying our elections are not fair. And then SpongeBob says the very next day. Next day. She would be the governor of Georgia today had the governor of Georgia not disenfranchised 1.4 million Georgia voters before the election. That's what happened to Stacey Abrams. They took the votes away. They took the votes away. Yeah, so uh, not fair. This is Stacey Abrams. You see, I'm here to tell you that just because you win doesn't mean you're one. Okay, I don't, I don't know what that means. Just because you win doesn't mean you're one. This is one of those things I have noticed. Certain elected officials get to get away with this garbage where they say stuff that doesn't make any sense, but everybody treats it like it's really, really like profound. Oh, mm, yes. Haven't heard, haven't heard this before and doesn't really make sense, but 
I shall think about it and reassess my understanding of the English language and grammar. No, that doesn't make sense. This is what she's telling a crowd at a Terry McAuliffe event. I don't understand why Democrats... Well, fill in the blank on that one. Uh, But I don't understand why Democrats hold her up as the poster child for election reform and all this stuff. Like, it's just, it's, it's one of these, I don't know. I cannot explain it. I don't understand it. But then again, I don't understand a lot of things that Democrats do, particularly when they hold up people as avatars for a cause. I, I'm at a loss. You know, there are plenty, like, for example, on police shootings, there are lots of poster child type cases where you can hold a person up. Here you go. This is an easy one. Philando Castile gunned down by a cop up in Minneapolis, right? Concealed carry permit holder told the cops, I'm a concealed carry permit holder, did everything he was supposed to do and then got shot and killed with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's daughter in the car with him. Right. But rather than him being the, uh, you know, the cause rather than him being identified as like this egregious case upon which we should build reform. No, no, let's go with Michael Brown and make up a whole bunch of stories around his killing that weren't true. Right. That's what I mean. I don't I don't understand why they pick <laughs> certain people as these avatars. Now, I do know why Boomer does traffic. It's because he's so darn good at it and <laughs> he he knows it. Although I think he, I think he secretly hates it. <laughs> Is that things, one of the things we'll never tell, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Stacey Abrams, or should I say, Governor Abrams, uh, she went to Virginia to stump for Terry McAuliffe because. You're, I don't know why. Like, I, yeah, this is a this is a sign that your campaign is not going well. You're bringing in people that are there. Stacey Abrams is not is not a, a a person or a profile that's going to you know reach across the aisle and bring other people in. She, her entire claim to fame is she lost the governor's race and to this day says it was stolen from her. It was rigged. Rigged, a rigged election, totally rigged, is what she says. Maybe not quite like that, but kind of, sort of. Well, listen. You see, I'm here to tell you that just because you win doesn't mean you're won. We've got folks who are ready to take back what they think is theirs, but they are not entitled to our progress. They are not entitled to our justice. They are not entitled to our votes. But either we use them or we lose them. I come from a state where I was not entitled to become the governor. But as an American citizen and a citizen of Georgia, I'm going to fight for every person who has the right to vote to be able to cast that vote. And here in Virginia, you need to cast that vote for Terry McAuliffe. You need to cast that vote for Hala Ayala. You need to cast that vote for Mark Herring. And while you're at it, go all the way down the ballot. Don't stop till you reach the bottom. And then double check your work. But why? Because we know Bovu all the way through. Why though? Because we know what is possible. Oh. No, why? Why would you do that if they're just gonna steal it? Right? 
This is the problem. You notice the difference in the way she gets treated versus the way Trump gets treated. They say they say the same things. Right? The difference is, like, Trump in that statement said don't vote because that's just a stupid thing to say. But Stacey Abrams is also suppressing voters. Right? She's suppressing the vote. She's telling people that if they vote, it doesn't matter because they meaning, I guess, what, the white male Republican patriarchy will steal the election from you. By the way, the language and the rhetoric she's using here about taking back, they, they th- they're taking back our progress. They're, they're, they're trying to take back our progress. And, and um, uh, they, or they think they're entitled to our justice. I don't even know what that means, right? But this is a very combative narrative, as is no justice, no peace. These are combative narratives. These are only a problem identifiable when uttered by a Republican. When the left says these things, media doesn't hear it. It is truly the dog whistle, right? I know that the media and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, they are all about telling us when the dog whistles are blowing. Dog whistle over there. Oh my God, dog whistle. Right? They're constantly running around telling you about the dog whistling. Now, the dog whistling is interesting because, first off, only dogs can hear it. And they're the ones that always hear it. And then they tell me, they're like, that was a dog whistle. Really? Because like, I would think, like, I, I am right of center and that person's right of center. And I think I would have heard it, right? If they're blowing the whistle for me, I would hear it. Maybe I'm not the dog in this scenario, huh? They've never caught on to that. But it is true when the dog whistles get blown on the left These reporters don't hear it because it's not a dog whistle, you see. Usually it's just outright rhetoric, like for like the the Tiki Torch guys in Charlottesville, right? The white supremacists, they're walking around and what are they screaming? That the Jews will not replace us and they will not replace us, right? They're fighting back against this concept of uh, replacement theory, white replacement theory, right? That's what their uh, that's what their fight is about. Which, by the way, that's also what the left says, ironically enough. right? They, the left celebrates, you know, destiny is demographics or demographics is destiny, right? This idea that, yay, America's becoming less white. Awesome. Yay, yay, it's extinction, right? They're cheering it on. Why? Because they're signaling that they're not racist. Well, what are the white supremacists doing? The white nationalists, they, they say the same thing. You ever notice how similar the language is between the left and the, the, uh, the white nationalists? But here's a, here's a great juxtaposition. Travis Fain, again, this week. Two times in one week. Travis Fain. About two hours ago, he took to the Twitter machine to uh, wax fairly poetic. Actually, just to promote... A buddy of his named Joe Killian. Joe Killian used to be a reporter, I think, at the Greensboro News and Record, I think is where he came out of. He is now at Policy Watch, which is a left-wing publication, a left-wing think tank publication. This is the Justice Center, North Carolina Justice Center, and the Progressive Pulse and all that. And Joe Killian now is, uh, he's got a story about the North Carolina race for U.S. Senate on the Republican side. And uh, saying that uh, Mark Walker is courting evangelical votes by embracing 
Mark Robinson, the lieutenant governor. And Travis Fain wants to amplify this story for Joe Killian, do him a solid. So he retweets it. And this is what Travis does. He does this, you know, under the uh, this patina of uh, journalism, of just simply like, this is a very interesting story I've just come across. You may be interested too. Right? That's the, the sentiment expressed here, which is a lie. It's always a lie. It's, it's he thinks this story is interesting because it serves a purpose, and so he wants to amplify it. And so he pushes it out, and here's what he says, and then he can't help himself. He has to go on several tweets describing his thoughts on the matter. This is a reporter. This is the chief. Oh, well, hang on a second. Let's make sure I credit him properly. I don't know if he's the chief guy. He's a statehouse reporter, right? Because uh, Leslie, uh, Laura Leslie is the uh, the bureau chief. And for WRAL, again, WRAL is owned by uh, Capital Broadcasting Company, which is owned by the Goodmans, uh, Jim Goodman and his wife, and they own the, the Capital Broadcasting. And the Goodmans are big-time donors to organizations like NC Policy Watch, the Blueprint NC crowd, the, all that, the, that, that constellation of left-wing organizations in North Carolina. Uh, the Goodmans are big-time donors for these folks. And, of course, NPR. Um, and so Travis Fain pushes out, amplifies this story from Policy Watch's Joe Killian. And he says, something Joe Killian has picked up on of late is the resurgence of Christian fundamentalism in North Carolina politics. It's an underreported movement, I think. An underreported mo- Do you really think that's the case? Have we not gotten stories about Republicans and their ties to evangelical Christianity in North Carolina? Are you seriously going to make this assertion? Man, maybe you should, I don't know, write some letters or something. If only there was something a statehouse reporter could do about coverage.